You may be seated. Well, I'm going to take a few moments here and share with you before we partake of communion later, and we're going to hear a testimony here in just a few minutes. Um, first of all, I'm going to take a, a little personal privilege if I can. Uh, today, I would I'd just like to wish my wife a happy 23rd anniversary today. Yes. And uh, sorry, sorry I have to work, but uh, it's, it's part of the gig. And... Uh, Yes, she was 12 when I married her, and I, she was a child bride, and so, um, but actually, in all fairness, I'll, okay, I'll, yeah, yeah, so, you know, it's kind of become a tradition now when I speak, I share a little photo or something, to just to, so God can humble me before I teach, so here we go, here's our wedding photo, <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that looks 12 in the photo, right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. That was like 100 pounds ago. What is that? Oh, my goodness. That was just... Look at those glasses. Aren't those as great? That was circa 1990, you know, so it's kind of a little lingering of the 80s there. Anyway, all right. So that, it's our anniversary today, so happy anniversary. And uh, so anyway, thank you. You know, when we first got married, uh, one of the topics we really had to deal with was anger. Um, how we expressed anger. I don't know if this is like for you, but my wife was more of an external sharer of her anger right away. And was that good enough to say it that way? Okay. And I was a stuffer. You know what a stuffer is, right? You get angry, but what do you do with it? You just keep stuffing it down, stuffing it down, which is not good because eventually it all boils up and out, right? But um, so we, as we grew up and together in marriage, we had to learn how to communicate better about expressing our anger and our feelings. In fact, she reminded me of a story that just a few weeks after we got married, or a few months or something, um, they, uh, we had this fight because I believe I'd, I wasn't doing the dishes, and well, actually, I wasn't doing the laundry either, helping out or anything like that, because I had this romanticized view that I got married It'd be back like when I was a little kid and my mom did everything for me, you know? Yeah, I, I know. I was really, yeah. Anyway, so we had to work through this. And one night I came to a head where she, you said you weren't going to do the dishes anymore? I can't remember what it was. Our household came to a grinding halt when, when we were trying to express our anger, but we were not communicating very well and not doing a good job of expressing our anger. But let's look at this. Turn to the Bible now. Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Genesis 4, 1 through 15. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. She gave birth to Cain. She said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. While Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you've refused to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. 
One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. For now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence, and you have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're talking about breaking free from anger. And here we have the classic Bible story of someone who's dealing with their anger, not in a positive way. The ultimate example of revenge, Cain kills his brother Abel. Now let me just take a moment here, first of all, to say there are different kinds of anger. First of all, there is righteous anger. We see the example of Jesus as he is turning over the tables of the money changers and those uh, at, the, at the courtyard of the temple, taking advantage of the poor. And he uh, goes through and, and in righteous anger, turns over tables to communicate to them and to make a statement. But then there's the other kind of anger. It's the anger that comes from that place, from our brokenness and our hurts and our perceived wrongs. And then we have to deal with that anger. That's the one I'm talking about mostly this morning. Cain perceives the problem as being able, but unfortunately, um, he, he was blinded by his own anger and not realizing that the problem was not able, it was his own offering he brought before the Lord. Isn't that so true for many of us in our anger? The first thing is, we, we misplace it. We transfer the blame to something else. And oftentimes we don't look at the core, the reason for our anger. So this thinking of Cain's is wrong. And if we could see the situation differently, if he could see the situation differently, then his anger may not have developed First of all, is we need, when we're dealing with angry situations, something that just wells up anger inside of us, we need to stop and take a good hard look at the situation and truly understand what is going on. Many times it's our emotions that kick in and override our decision-making. To think clearly, we need to have the facts. Too often we get angry and we don't have all the facts and we overreact. I don't know if you, I do that. I'll jump to a conclusion, and I will just get all angry, and then I realize, oh, you know, really, that's not what you're doing? Okay. Uh, You're doing this? Okay. And I got angry for no reason. We need to look at all the facts. It's important to do this before our feelings take over, because for many of us, if we're very honest, our emotions well up pretty easy, right? For some of us, we have good control over our emotions. And for some of us, and I'll put myself in this category, uh, the emotions can well up and take control and just override the brain function, my cognitive brain function, and I just all of a sudden I find myself doing something I don't want to do. And so we need to 
make this decision before our feelings take over. Let's take a moment. We're going to watch a video. So if you go, go ahead and Greg can hit that play, and I'll freeze it here in just a second. This is an internet video of a typical office space. You may have worked in a space like this. Okay, ready? And pause it. Pause it right there. Okay. We'll, we'll go back and finish it here in a second. Go ahead and cue up that video. So we saw him there. He goes to his desk. He grabs something. And I want to freeze it right there because that's that point for many of us where we can make a choice, right? To escalate it further or to pull back. And uh, let's see what he chose. Let's see. Right. Can you go ahead and just click on the bar? Yeah, right about there. Then you'll have to hit play over to the left. All right. So we're back to where the incident happened. He's deciding what to do. And he grabs the monitor. And... Okay, so obviously he's got some anger management issues. Um, But come on, admit it. You've thought about doing that at some point. You get that copier at work, that printer, whatever it is, and you want to treat it. In fact, you know, talking about God humbling me before I teach this subject, a few weeks back when Laura knew she was going to be gone at George's wedding this weekend, she asked me to preach and she gave me the topic of anger. And like the very next day, not. The very next morning, I'm in. I'm in um, working on a piece of equipment that's just not cooperating in the office, and I did not have time for it that day. I was like, I had a full schedule. I don't have time to stop and fix this, but I had to because it kind of brought the office to a halt. And so, uh, when I was in there, out of my anger, I got so frustrated, I slammed the counter real loud and right in front of everybody, and it was just like. Wow, thank you, God, for that. So I went to Laura. I was like, you sure you want me to teach this anger thing? Because apparently I have issues. Um, But anyway, um, so we all deal with these kind of things. And so what I'm saying here is basically is this. You're going to get a point, whatever it is that causes you to get angry, you have a choice of how you're going to react. Simple. You're going to have a choice. Are you going to let that anger continue? Or are you going to deal with that anger? Simple enough. Psalm 4, verse 4 says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. So take a time to pause and reflect if, if you need to. Take, a to. take an adult time out if you need to, to stop and take a breath. Don't be like that guy. Uh, in his book, Christian Counseling, Gary Collins, he suggests some questions you might ask. You might even put them on a card and have them handy. He says... Ask yourself, what is it you're feeling angry? Be real self-reflective. What is it that's actually making you angry? Why am I feeling angry and not other emotions right now in this situation? You might ask, am I jumping to conclusions about the situation of the person who is making me angry? Is my anger justified? How might others, including that person, see the situation? Are they angry? Why? Is there another way I could look at that situation? Are there things I could do to change the situation in order to reduce my anger. Ask yourself these questions. Help yourself to pause and reflect and make a proper choice. 
We can also affect our thinking by remembering that God is in control. We need to remember that our God is in control. If we can have that framework in our daily life, that would help us so much, especially in this topic of anger, because a lot of times it's situations that are totally out of our control, and so we're frustrated. I don't know about you, that, that's me right there. When something gets out of control and I can't control it, ooh, I don't like it, and I get angry and mad. And so for many of us, we need to remember that God is in control. Genesis 4, 7 says, If you do what is right, you will not... If you, if you do what is right, and this is, by the way, God talking to Cain because he's very angry. He says, if you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do, do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If we allow anger to fester in our lives, we let that resentment get in deep, it's going to take root and control us and be our master. For no matter what sin it is in our lives, we do not want to allow it to master us. So how do we deal with those things? Well, how can you have God help you with your anger? So first of all, give me a few tips here. First of all, see it as it really is. Don't justify it or nurse it along. Accept the problem. Just accept it. If you talk to anybody who is in recovery or anybody in the field of counseling, they will tell you that the first step, step to accepting, to dealing with your problem is accepting the, that there is a problem. So accept there's a problem. Second, we need to confess our need to God. Not only to be forgiven, but purified. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Third, confess to one another. Confess to the person you're angry with. Tell them you're angry with them. Communicate with them instead of holding it back. And that, not, you're not confronting them to blame them. You're just expressing your anger in a proper manner. Let me take a moment to also talk about it. Um, if you're angry at God because of life's circumstances me encourage you to also go to God and confess to him that you're angry. Trust me, God's big enough. He can handle it if you bring that to him and tell him you're angry. Because some of us have had some incredible hurts happen to us and our families. And it's, last, it's left scars in our hearts. And we've turned it toward anger towards God, questioning why this was happening. Take it to him and confess it before him. Fourth, we need to ask God to remove that anger. Simple enough. Just ask him to remove that, and he will help you. In 1 John 5, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we'll have what we asked of him. God does not want us to be angry. He's there to take it away if we ask. And finally, perhaps the hardest and yet most important thing is that we need to forgive the one you're angry at. Forgive the one you're angry at. You also talk to therapists, counselors. They will tell you that the final step is forgiving the person who did the wrong. Because if you don't, you're to keep carrying that and struggling with it. You have to let it go. And that final step is forgiving. And that includes God, by the way. Forgiving God 
to letting go. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Well, as we're dealing with our, we're talking about dealing with anger, and we're going to transition here in a moment to uh, uh, our communion time. But before we do that, uh, Leah Manning's going to come up and she's going to share a testimony of how God has worked in her life. And I did it again, guys. I left the mic somewhere and I don't know where I left it. We'll go with this red mic again here. Sorry about that, guys. There you go. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I was um, like that guy on the, in the office last night when I was trying to print out my talking points. My computer all messed up, and I couldn't get it printed, so I have my iPad, so there's backup here. So thank goodness for that. Oh, um, I'm here to talk to you about anger. And as Greg said, he was talking about anger with God, and my anger is with it, God. To give you a little background on myself, I grew up in the Methodist church. Um, I went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school. I was in MYF. My grandfather was a Methodist minister in Louisiana. It's a small town. And I used to love going to church with him. Sometimes he would have three churches at a time in those little towns, and we'd go to the 630 service, and it would be 10 or 12 people, and then we'd go to the next one. And it was just so much fun back then. I loved it. But like a lot of us, as we get into our late teen years and in college, we get away from the church, and I did. I got far away. And then even after I graduated from college, I got married a year later, and I had twin girls two years later. I tried to get back to church, but we floated in and out. Never really found a home. Life got in the way. You know, you're both working 40 hours plus a week. You use your Saturdays for cleaning house, grocery shopping, going to soccer games, whatever it is. And Sundays, you just don't want to get up and go. And we didn't very often, except for we did always make that Easter and Christmas Eve service. But back in mid-2006, at age 45... I felt a tug to get back to my Christian roots. There was something missing in my life. I, I knew that that wasn't all there was. Luckily, my best friend, Cheryl Reed, who's back there, was feeling the same tug at that same time. And so we started visiting churches uh, in the area. We went through some churches in Bee Cave, Lakeway, Spicewood. One day we stumbled into Bee Creek Methodist. It was down the hill at the time. And, I mean, as soon as you walked in the doors, we both felt so welcomed. I felt not judged. I felt apart. The message that day spoke to me greatly. I don't even remember what it was. I mean, I mean, it was the first time I'd heard a sermon where I said, gosh, I can really relate and, and, and apply that to my, to my everyday life. We'd, we knew we had found our home. Our husbands, both of our husbands, started coming shortly thereafter. And Steve and I joined the church that first Sunday in January 2007. I remember it clearly. It was right after New Year's, and we thought, you know, it was kind of a New Year's resolution and new beginnings for us. So what was going on in my life in January 2007? My life, it felt like for the first time, was so on track. Everything was just going great. It was how I dreamed life should be. After years of ups and downs, like everybody experiences when you have teenage kids, you do have those ups and downs. I had found a church home and started understanding more about what a Christian was to be. I never understood that. I knew about going to church and volunteering now and then. But after I had come to Bee Creek, I realized what I had learned about what a personal relationship with God was. I learned that he's there with you 24-7 and with you. It's not just a Sunday thing. It is every minute of the day. It was clicking. In all my years going to church, I'd never gotten that, and it was an incredible feeling. 
My daughters were sophomores at LSU. They were finally settled and doing well. And both had joined the same sorority I was in. I was proud. College did have started out rough for Ashley, who started her freshman year at Texas State. She hated it. She moved back home before joining her sister at LSU. Courtney had some ups and downs a bit at LSU, but then she settled in loving it. I, had just, I did spend a lot of time on the road that freshman year back and forth between Baton Rouge and, and Austin. Then back to January 07, Steve and I were starting to experience that empty nest we'd always dreamed about. You know, we had kids two years after we got married, and so we were starting to be able to have time together again, get to know each other after raising the girls in 22 years of marriage. We were taking long walks after, after work, kept coming to church, talking. I do remember a specific conversation we had as we walked one night about how great things were. It's what we had wanted. The girls were doing good, we were doing good, and professionally we were both doing great. Life was good. That lasted about two more months when our life changed forever. One Sunday night, it was about 10 o'clock, I remember it was probably, I think the first Sunday in March of that 07, we got a call from Courtney. Ashley's boyfriend, who she had uh, broke up with that Friday night, had committed suicide, and Ashley had found him. Ashley found him hanging from his apartment ceiling fan with her Valentine she had given him in Valentine's Day the couple weeks before, pinned to his shirt over his heart. A seasoned policeman had told Courtney that it was one of the most gruesome scenes he had ever seen, and she had found that. Steve and I jumped in the car, and we drove the seven hours to Baton Rouge. We got there about six in the morning. During this time, we felt so much support from this church, our family, and friends. Steve and I, the girls, were able to get to that immediate event through the support and prayer in our faith. I stayed at LSU a couple weeks later, and Ashley decided to drop out of school and come home. Courtney stayed at LSU for a while, but moved from the apartment she shared with her sister to the sorority house. Ashley got some counseling to deal with the suicide, and life went on. It seemed like it was getting back to normal as normal could be. But the one thing you know, you just never know, is when events like the suicide might show up again, affecting your life sometime in the future, in some fashion. It didn't take that long. Ashley plummeted into a deep depression and became very suicidal. Courtney had been impacted by the events and moved home. It seemed like every day something was happening in our lives that just took us farther and farther down. I'd pray and tell myself, all this is happening for a reason. I truly believe that and that God was going to help us through it. It just, he was there. I won't go through all the details of those years, but I remember the instant when I finally hit a wall and said, okay, God, enough is enough. How can this keep happening? Oh, you're supposed to only give us what we can handle. I can't handle it anymore. I was sitting in a hotel in Bay City when that happened. I was working down there, and I got a call from the girls. And that night, I remember I was beating that bed. I was yelling at God. I was crying. I stayed up all night doing that. Got up the next morning and drove back to Austin. Beat my steering wheel. I can't imagine what people thought when they saw me in the car. I was yelling, crying. That was a Friday. Luckily, there was a, a women's breakfast the next morning the women's ministry had given that I came to. I was still angry that morning. But that morning, after breakfast, Lori Payne was leading it. And she had an index card in front of us. She said, write down your prayer request. I wrote down about how angry I was at God. She said to pass it to your left. I did. That's how I got to know Christine Prater. She prayed with me to let that anger go. I was really lucky. Um, 
that anger was almost dissipated immediately. I knew it wasn't God causing all these bad things in my life at that point. I knew he was there to help me through it all. I'll be always thankful for Christine for that prayer. I always thank her every time I see her. That breakfast was five years ago, and that went even close to when my family hit rock bottom. Can't even know when it happened. It was probably a couple years ago. I'd like to tell you our lives turned around and had a fairy tale ending, and we lived happily ever after. That's probably still out for debate. My daughters are now 26 and are working. They live in South Austin together and hope to get back to school someday to finish their degrees. They still have learning effects from what happened over the last five or six years, but they're doing, doing well, as well could be. Steve's and our marriage didn't survive that storm. We divorced last year after 28 years of marriage. Those events have impacted, you know, not only my immediate family, but my extended family and even some relationships I've had. What I do know is, though, that my faith and relationship God that I learned about, about back in that mid-2006 and that his church community helped me through it all. Without that tug back in late mid-2006 to get back to my Christian roots and that understanding I gained about that personal relationship with God, I really don't know where I'd be today. I'd probably be locked up somewhere. I'm still on my spiritual journey and have a long way to go. The one thing I know is God is always there to help me through the bad times and also celebrate the good. I cherish those good times. God has also put so many people in my life over these last six years since started coming to Bee Creek to help me through those times in my journey. Ever since that first step into Bee Creek, hearing the messages from both Pastor David and Pastor Laura, the women's ministry, my walk to Emmaus, my Emmaus group, my small group we joined, and all the great friends that I have in here. They have just been so supportive and have gotten me through my basket case years. I don't think they ever thought I would, but I finally got through it with their help and God's help. I've learned not to get angry at God. He's not the one causing all these bad things to happen. But he is the one there to help you get through those rough times and help you through it. Thank you. Many of you could relate to that story, couldn't you? Allowing... God to work that work in your life. Here in a moment, we're going to transition to communion time, and uh, we're blessed to have Reverend Susan Poor, who's better known to some of us as Laura's mom, but probably more famously known as Yaya, grandmother to uh, Leah and Anna. She's here today, and she's going to help lead us in communion. And I invite you here in a moment We'll sing a song, and during this time when we sing the song, parents, if you want to go and retrieve your kids, this is the time to do so. And after that time, I invite you, if you're struggling with an issue of anger and you want to let it go, no better place than right here at the table of the Lord. As you come forward and you take of the bread and the wine, that you leave that anger here at the of God. And as we now transition to our last song, we're going to invite you to stand as we sing a closing song. Guys, let's just sing that first verse and the chorus of How Great Is Our God.
good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Receive this benediction. As you go from this place, do not allow anger to master and control you and to hold you back, but allow the Spirit of God to dwell in you richly and control your heart and mind. Amen.